Today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. This is the Quick Start Podcast from CBN News, and I'm Billy Hollowell. A pro-life pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York, was attacked recently for the second time, and New York Attorney General Letitia James is under fire for hosting a Drag Queen Story Hour. We'll have those top stories and more on today's podcast, News from a Christian Perspective. You can subscribe to the show, give us a rating, share it with a friend. If you've got thoughts, email them to us at quickstartpodcast at cbn.org or head over to cbn.com slash quickstartpodcast. And as always, I am joined today by CBN's Trey Goins-Phillips. How you doing, Trey? Hello, hello. You know, you almost have to kind of laugh and I know we shouldn't laugh, but you kind of have to laugh when the stories of the day are consistently another drag queen story hour and pro-lifers being attacked, like the most peaceful group of people in the country. How do we even get here, right? I mean, that's every every day I look yeah. at these headlines and I'm like, what, what in the world landed us where we are right now? And then the scarier thought, where are we headed next? Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned to the podcast and you'll find out. <laughs> what do you have coming up today? What's your preview for your uh, for your story? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about a professor over in the UK who was fired over a tweet he posted about biblical sexuality. So another crazy story, but we'll get into those details. Yeah, and then in our main thing, we're going to be having on a football coach whose fight to pray on the 50-yard line took him all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll be talking with Joe Kennedy. But before we get there, we're going to dive into the news in 90 seconds. New York Attorney General Letitia James hosted a drag queen story hour on Sunday, and the event was advertised on social media encouraging families to bring their children. James's announcement about the event ignited a firestorm of criticism, but her office said she was hosting the event to, quote, condemn hate and combat rampant disinformation. The event drew fire over the attorney general's use of taxpayer dollars to have drag performers interact with kids. In addition, the city's council sergeant at arms squad added to the total cost, providing security for the seven city officials who showed up to the event. There were also New York City police officers on hand to make sure the crowds outside remained peaceful. In another story, more than 500 churches across Texas are no longer affiliated with the United Methodist denomination over its policies becoming more LGBTQ friendly. While pastors admit that the decision to leave has not been easy, a lot of them have felt it was necessary to move forward. Howard Hewn, executive pastor at Houston's Friendswood Methodist Church, said, quote, looking at what is going to be the future of the United Methodist Church, I don't really see a place for me in the United Methodist Church. According to the denomination's General Council on Finance and Administration, more than 1,800 churches in the U.S. have left the UMC since 2019. On the whole, more than 1,200 congregations have joined the new theologically conservative Global Methodist Denomination, which was first launched in May of 2022. And finally, a pro-life pregnancy center in Buffalo, New York, has been attacked for the second time in less than a year. A vandal spray-painted liars in red capital letters on a sign outside the Compass Care Clinic last Thursday, according to surveillance footage the group posted to YouTube. In an email to the Buffalo News, Compass Care blamed pro-abortion Maoist Antifa for the vandalism. 
In June of last year, the clinic was attacked by two individuals who were seen on surveillance video smashing windows and setting fires at two locations in the building, which was opened in 2019. Leaders with Compass Care have asserted the attack last year and the vandalism this month are low priorities, not just for law enforcement, but also for the FBI. Those are just some of today's headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Trey, I got to tell you this pro-life story. It's remarkable to me in the most depressing way that these attacks continue. Yeah, it's wild that they're that they're continuing to happen. And something that's really interesting and sad, honestly, is the CEO of Compass Care. Uh, he was explaining this in a, in a recent interview with the, the Daily Signal. Um, he said that in February he contacted the FBI and said essentially the FBI needs to step up. Y'all need to do something to address this, not just with Compass Care, but for pro-life organizations and just pro-life activists in general, because they were afraid that more of this kind of stuff was going to happen. And literally just a handful of weeks after that call to the FBI, which by the way, he said went completely unanswered, um, this second attack happened at Compass Care Clinic in Buffalo. Uh, so the timing there is is unfortunate, but the FBI and the local police there, uh, they have pushed back against what he's saying and said, we're not putting this on a low priority level. We care about this issue, uh, but it does seem like they're dragging their feet, which is not surprising, unfortunately, in the political climate we live in nowadays. Yeah, I mean, a couple of weird things about this story. This is not the first time that he has complained about the FBI and authorities handling of this, right? We've talked yeah. with him about this in the past when it comes to the first um, assault that happened there on the building. And so it's interesting because there seems to be a real disconnect between the clinic and law enforcement, right? This pro-life clinic and and the police and the FBI because this narrative continues and so it's it's unfortunate. But the other weird thing about this case, looking at it practically, you know, this is Buffalo, New York. Upstate New York is a little different politically from downstate New York. It tends to be a little bit more mixed and certain pockets are more conservative, maybe. But it doesn't really matter at the end of the day politically, because New York state is not a state where abortion rights were rolled back, let's say. Right. If you're a very progressive person. Right and you're concerned about abortion rights, it's just strange to me that these attacks are going on in a place where abortion rights have been pretty solidified for people. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, but it's a little weird to me. Yeah, no, I think it is It is odd, but, but I also think that so much of this is fueled by anger. And I think when you're completely fueled by anger and so often seeing red whenever you uh, address an issue like abortion. Um, I, I don't think necessarily that the facts on the ground or like what reality actually is matters because I think people take their marching orders from the media or from the politicians they care about. And there's obviously, I think, inflammatory rhetoric on both sides. But when it comes to this issue, I think the left and the certainly the pro-abortion crowd has been really, really inflammatory. So I think a lot of times people who are pro-abortion just see a clinic uh, that's not an abortion clinic. They see a pro-life clinic or care center, and they are—they're just angry from from the moment that they see it, and then they feel empowered and emboldened to go do what they're going to do. And I think, as far as the FBI is concerned, it's interesting because you know, people said that Trump is the reason that we have so much distrust in our institutions. But I think Trump was just kind of a symptom of the distrust that already existed. Uh, and it's just continued to ramp up. Certainly Trump maybe inflamed some of it more than it, than it was. But I think really a lot of it, he was just pointing out issues that people already 
had. So it's unfortunate that the FBI seems to still, at least in these people's perspective, these pro-life organizations' perspectives, continue to be, I don't know, buying into the the assumption people make about them, right? Or not doing anything to stop people from buying into the assumption uh, that they've made about them, which is that they're politically motivated. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't want to do a hard topic shift, but I'm going to do one here because I before we go <laughs> into our focus story, I do want to talk about this drag queen story hour that New York Attorney General Letitia James hosted on Sunday. I mean, I could not have guessed five years ago that we would be talking about the government officials essentially hosting these kinds of events for families to bring their kids to. I, I mean, it just seems remarkable to me. Yeah, I think that's that's what we've done by ma- by moving the goalpost, right? So now it's the objective, middle of the road perspective to have in secular culture is that drag queens are completely good, completely benevolent. Uh, there is nothing that could be untoward about it at all. So if you are in any way critical of it, you've become kind of the fringe and the radical. So because we've done so much of that, or we've heard so much of that in the entertainment world and in the political world on the left, at least, um, I think people are feeling empowered and emboldened to go and do what they want to do. And then also, I think there's a spiritual level to this. So you talk about this all the time, Billy. I think people in the world who are not aware of faith or who are not aware of scripture or don't know the Lord, I think they're blinded to a lot of this stuff. I think it is hard to see how it can be damaging because I think they're so inculcated in it. Like it's just so a part of their everyday experience that to to think anything other than what they assume or what they've been told is just not even a consideration. Because I don't think all of these people have these really nefarious motivations. I think a lot of it is just a complete and total spiritual blindness. A hundred percent agree. In fact, you know, when you look at her reasoning for hosting the event to condemn hate and, you know, combat disinformation, they, they, I assume I'm going to take them at their word. They really believe they're doing something positive here, that they're helping people, that they're preventing discrimination, that they're teaching tolerance, right? It's just, it's a little strange that the only way we can teach tolerance is through having drag queens read books to people. I don't know. It's just, you would think there'd be other ways to do that. That and, and not tolerating Christians, right? Because there's no, there's no room ever made for tolerating, um, believers or Christians who have conservative values, because I don't see the government cropping up and, and hosting Kirk Cameron to do a story hour, right? He's done them, but you're not going to see the government coming in and sponsoring those or a government official coming in and sponsoring those. And then if you did that, if that were to happen, the Freedom From Religion Foundation would quickly send a letter uh, to them. So, But it's just interesting that that, that one side is allowed to pro- proliferate and the other side has to be completely silenced. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy, and we'll continue to monitor these stories as they unfold. Uh, but that brings us to our focus story. Trey, a professor in the UK was fired over a tweet. What exactly did he say? Yeah, so his name is uh, Aaron Edwards. Uh, he is a theology professor, or he was a theology professor at Cliff College in Derbyshire, England. Uh, and then in mid-February, he posted this tweet. It read, homosexuality is invading the church. Evangelicals no longer see the severity of this because they're busy apologizing for their apparently barbaric 
homophobia, whether or not it's true. This is a gospel issue, by the way. If sin is no longer sin, we no longer need a savior. And we actually spoke to him, and you'll be able to watch the full interview on our CBN News YouTube channel. Uh, He was talking about how he does not regret any of the words that he said. He said, I know that they sound harsh. And he knows that it's, you know, that it's strong wording. Uh, But he said, what I, what I wrote is true. And he said, it makes sense that people would be offended by it because anytime people are called out for sin, whether it be sexual sin or, or any kind of, of sin, it makes us uncomfortable. He said, so I, I readily admit that the words are offensive, uh, but they're not offensive because they're wrong, essentially is what he was, what he was saying. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we understand why he was saying what he was from a grander scale. But what inspired the tweet? Was there a reason he chose to send it, you know, when he did? Yeah, so he said that there's been just a swelling. I think we're seeing a similar phenomenon. And he said this uh, happening in the United States, because I think it's happening in the West overall. Um, But he said in the Anglican Church, uh, in particular, there's this pressure from the secular world to adopt LGBT lifestyles and LGBT culture within the church. And he said, we're seeing more of that within the Anglican church of starting to accept that and starting to embrace uh, LGBT lifestyles and saying, look, you can have this lifestyle and you can be a believer and you can even be uh, in a position of church leadership, uh, which he said is a relatively new phenomenon. It's not that LGBT people haven't always existed within Christendom and haven't always had these debates. He said, that's something that's been around for as long as humanity has been around, because that's as long as sin has been around, sin has been present within the world. But he said this um, acceptance of it within church leadership and the suggestion that you can couple it with sound theology. He said, that's relatively new. Uh, He said, I've been talking about this behind closed doors in Cliff College, but I wanted to start talking about it more openly because it's becoming an issue that people are debating more openly. Uh, So he said nobody should have been caught off guard by him saying what he said uh, because people at Cliff knew his perspective. Um, but he felt like it was it was time for him to to step out publicly and say this is my perspective, this is what I believe, because he said I think it's in contradiction to scripture. And how is he holding up and reacting after the firing? I mean, that's a that's a pretty big life altering ordeal. Yeah, he's had he and his family have had a, a tough go of it. So he was brought in for a disciplinary hearing in early March. Uh, all of this has kind of been going on behind scenes uh, from February 19th when he posted the tweet, and then it went kind of public when he had this March 9th uh, disciplinary hearing that ultimately, of course, ended with his termination. He's appealing it, uh, but he even he was very candid. He admitted in our conversation, which again, you can watch on YouTube, our YouTube channel. He admitted, we're having a tough time. I've been evicted from the apartment that I'm living in. He and his wife and their children have been evicted. Uh, and they're dealing with this, which again, he is appealing. So there's there's some hope that it might turn around, but it's not necessarily looking um, the greatest. But I think what's really encouraging about him and his story is he said he's been so encouraged and he feels so blessed, which he said, I know that's such a silly thing or sounds like a silly thing to say when I'm faced with all of these really difficult and unfortunate circumstances. He said, but people all around the world have been messaging him, emailing him Bible verses and prayers, and people have been reaching out in his local community and offering to make meals for them and to babysit their kids if he and his wife just need uh, a night or a day out. And uh, he said his, his community of believers at his church um, have been really surrounding them with prayer and 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 
you know, tangible support. So he said, despite all of those difficult things, which they're walking through and, you know, trying to figure out, he said on the spiritual level, he and his wife have been really encouraged and are comfortable knowing that they're walking in, in their conviction and they're doing the right thing. Well, I appreciate you bringing that story. Uh, Lots to pray for there for him and his family. And that brings us to our main thing. I had a chance to sit down with Joe Kennedy. He's the football coach who fought to pray on the 50-yard line, took his case all the way to the Supreme Court, and he won last summer. Now he's got another victory here on the horizon. Um, Here's our main thing with Joe Kennedy. So Coach Kennedy, really exciting development here for you. You are going to be returning to football, to coaching. Tell us a little bit about how it feels. <laughs> I wish I had some really good words to describe it. It's I, I, I hardly believe it's actually happening. It's been so long that it, I've been fighting so hard to get back there. Now it's, it's really going to happen. And man, I'm, I'm just so thankful. Yeah, well, I mean, you went through a seven-year legal battle, and this obviously culminated at the Supreme Court last year, last June, when you won 6-3. to Um, And that victory was really predicated on the fact that the school district was seen as um, compromising or restricting your First Amendment rights to pray um, on the 50-yard line. And there's so much to unpack there. I think people know your story, and so I want to get back into some of those details. But before we do... What does it feel like to go back? Because now you're, you've got a public persona, you've been out there, and I would imagine there's probably some pressure or maybe even nervousness going back out there to coach again. Yeah, there's a lot of nervousness, and most of it is just because of the display it's going to be. I set out to just pray by myself, and that's what my covenant with God was at the very beginning, was just give a prayer of thanks, and now that it's become headline news, that's my biggest angst that I think I have is exactly that is having to pray in front of a bunch of people when it's just me thanking God. Yeah, you know, and, and I think it's it's interesting too because you've maintained throughout all of this, you know, that this was you praying on the 50 yard line, that the kids had a choice to come and join if they wanted to after the game. Um, if they didn't want to, they didn't have to. Why do you think, because it's really interesting looking at this, this went on for seven years and it it looks like the legal fees to the district almost are $2 million. I mean, it's it's a lot of money and time they spent on this. Why do you think there was such a resistance to allowing you to pray on the 50-yard line the way you were? I, I think it really has to do with the lawyer group that is representing the Bremerton School District. They're the ones that have really been the spearhead in driving this thing. Um, the school district and I were trying to work things out. I thought we would be able to do it like adults and just sit there and have an actual conversation about it and work through the problems. But then their lawyers got involved and they had their own agenda, obviously. And they got the, you know, the the separation and church and state group and the big haters of everybody and taking away freedoms and, and had them representing them. And that's, what's really sad is because that same group covers almost all of Washington state schools. So that's a scary precedence that they're setting just there alone. 
How did you, and I want to talk more about what's ahead, but but how did you deal with the comments? Look, this is something everybody had an opinion on, and it's actually, a, it's a transformational case, right? I mean, this has a monumental impact on how religious freedom cases are going to be looked at across the country. How have you dealt with the, the commentary, particularly the negative commentary, right? It's one thing to have supporters, and you have plenty of them, but when people come after you, I would imagine, you know, saying and, and doing horrific things, how have you navigated that? Because it's been a long road of seven years. Most of the time I try to understand where they're coming from and I try to have a conversation with them. It's really sad when people are just so bullheaded and, and just blinded and have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. The ignorance is just so frustrating and trying to get through to people. And I give everybody a chance to speak. I, I try to listen to where they're coming from. I try to understand why they're coming from that. And then I just ask them in return to respond the exact same way. Listen to what I have to say. Take a look at this from a constitutional perspective. And the same rights that are protecting you to run your mouth are the same ones that I'm trying to do to thank God for. Um, I, I've tried to meet with some of them. I had lunch with a couple of them. And other ones are those real tough guys that sit behind their computer all day. And those I just don't have time for. If you don't want to listen, I'll block you and just move on. The threats and everything else, you know, I'm a Marine. I'm not worried about any of those guys. They're all talk. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's interesting that we're at a place in our country where we can't just have a disagreement, right? I mean, what you're describing is being able to sit down with people who disagree and people take politics and, you know, Supreme Court cases so personally now that, you know, they can't even ha- engage in that sort of conversation. And that that's a troubling thing. Uh, but, but what were you feeling last summer? Obviously, it was a big summer for the Supreme Court. And your case was one of the really big ones. We obviously had Roe overturned. But when you heard that it was a 6-3 verdict in your favor, what went through your mind and your heart? Yeah, first of all, my head just, you know, totally exploded. And to think that it's finally coming to an end. And I really didn't have a lot of time to process it because we jumped right on onto the interviews. I think we did 87 interviews that week alone. And it was just getting the message out that, hey, this impacts all people. Anybody that works in the public square, this gives them the freedom to be able to practice their religion. It doesn't have to be the Christianity or, you know, Muslim or or Jewish, any any faith whatsoever that you want to express is protected under First Amendment. And that just put that permanent smile on my face. Now, I'm going to ask the obvious question here. When you head back as an assistant coach, because the district has confirmed that that will be happening, um, and we'll talk about specifically when, but when you go back, do you plan to pray at the 50-yard line? You know, when you get back out there and you're on the sidelines and you're coaching, are you going to pick right back up where you left off? Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's what my plan was from the very beginning. It was my covenant to, after every game, just take a knee and thank God. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to shake hands with the opposing team, uh, talk to the coaches, shake their hand, and then I'm going to turn around like I always have and take a knee and not worry about any of the repercussions and see who's looking or anything. I'm just going to have that private moment with God and whatever happens, happens. Well, I'm betting you're going to have a lot more people joining you now than maybe even before um, in light of this. I know a lot of people have been very supportive of you. And I think, you know, we're talking here about people's ability. You know, and I think we've had a real hard time in this country really differentiating, okay, well, when can somebody have the, this freedom to express themselves and when can't they? And it really did seem for a lot of people watching your case 
confusing as to why somebody couldn't, you know, voluntarily pray on the 50 yard line and, and a coach couldn't do that. And students could choose to either come or not. Yeah, I don't know if you want to comment on this at all, but I'm going to throw it out there because I do think it's interesting. There's a lot of things happening in schools today and a lot of debate around a lot of issues that we that we trust kids to be okay with. And a lot of parents aren't. You know, we're we're sort of throwing a lot of things out at them in schools. um, And yet when it comes to a voluntary prayer, that's the line for some people. What, What do you think drives that? Not just the school district, but just that general sort of pushback on prayer in the way that we've seen. Well, I think it has to do with a lot of ignorance, and and it's just the way that the times have been. Um, When uh, Lemon came out, that was the case that we just overturned. That's the one that took prayer basically out of the schools, and everybody hears the separation of church and state, and they think that that's law. They think that that's part of the Constitution, or it's one of the amendments, and people don't—it's just ignorance of not knowing what it actually says. So they've been taught from the very beginning that, oh, there's separation in church and state. Well, that doesn't mean what they think it means. And the, the First uh, Amendment is supposed to complement each other with the free exercise and the freedom of speech and um, the freedom of uh, religion. All of those work together, not opposing, but the courts originally made it to where they were really opposing each other. And now it cleared it up. and. Hey, I I see great things happening and prayer just coming out all over the place in the United States. That was Joe Kennedy. You can head over to our YouTube channel if you want to watch the entire interview with him. Lots of interesting uh, tidbits there. But this brings us to one last thing. We've got a verse for you to reflect on this week. In light of everything we've talked about here, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, we've we've shared this verse a number of times in the show, but I think it's important because these stories, they can make us, you know, frustrated or agitated or nervous about the direction of our country. And we can start to take our eyes off of God and put them on the things in front of us, the temporal things. And so it's just a reminder of where we can have peace and find peace. Yeah, no, I think it's also a good reminder that the Lord is has already won the, the victory, right? We we face battles in life, but the ultimate victory has already been won, and we can find joy in that and, and resting in uh, the here, but not, but not yet, right? We're not in eternity yet, uh, but we know that it's coming, and I think that's such a seal that gives us so much confidence, uh, and we should live that way now, right, by sharing that truth with the people around us. I love that. That is a great place for us to close today. That is all we have for you. If you want a Christian perspective to the news, again, make sure you subscribe to the show, leave a rating. If you want to send us a message, it's quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platforms and also on our email newsletter as well. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. We'll see you back here tomorrow. 